Welcome to Biopics Mostly Suck, the podcast where we provide the true story behind movies based on a true story. Thank you everyone for downloading and listening to this podcast. Today, I want to welcome Lucknow, India to the BMS crew. Lucknow is a city of 135 square miles or 349 kilometers squared with a population of more than 2 million. It is located in the Uttar Pradesh region in the northeastern area of India. The official languages spoken in Lucknow are Hindi and Urdu with the regional language being Awadi. To our listeners in Lucknow, Sine Keli Danyavad. I hope I just said thank you for listening. Today I'm fortunate to be joined by two guests. If you've been listening to the podcast, then you will know my first guest, John Helix, a local musician in the San Diego area. Find him on Facebook and Twitter at John Helix Official. My other guest today is Dawn, a drummer who stars in her own garage, a great cook, and one of my favorite people in the world. And she just happens to be my wife. Today, we will talk about the movie The End of the Tour, the story of the five days Rolling Stone writer David Lipsky spent with the author David Foster Wallace on the book tour for his book, Infinite Jest. Jason Siegel stars as David Foster Wallace, or DFW as he's known to his fans, and Jesse Eisenberg stars as David Lipsky, the writer whose book the movie is based on. The End of the Tour rates a 92% from Rotten Tomatoes and a 7.3 out of 10 from the Internet Movie Database. Jason Siegel was nominated as Best Actor by the Chicago Film Critics Association, the Independent Spirit Awards, and the San Diego Film Critics Association. The film won one award from the Golden Trailer Awards for the Best Independent Poster. How is the end of the tour as a movie? And how is it as a way to document the five days that David Foster Wallace and David Lipsky spent together? We will rate the movie as entertainment and as fact and give a score at the end of the episode. There will be spoilers in the discussion. If you're ready, let's get started. And if not, just hit pause. We'll still be here. I ate his liver with some fava beans. And you said you wanted to do role-playing on this one? Uh, yes. What? 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 You want to tell Don what I told you when you when I told you we're doing role-playing? Oh, God. Just don't make me be Lipsky? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. Oh, I, I was... I, th I thought I remember saying, who do I get to choose? <laughs> I just don't get the whole thing with David Foster Wallace, DFW. What, I feel like what I, thing? the admiration uh, that people lift him up into almost uh, a deity status. There's a uh, Jason Siegel tells a story when he was getting ready to do this role that he went to buy the book Infinite Jest. And the the girl who was helping him rolled her eyes and said, oh, every boyfriend I've had has an unread copy of this on his bookshelf. Yeah. So so what is it? When did it come out? What is it about? Why does it strike such a male chord? Well, I think it's, it strikes a male chord primarily because it is about men. 
So Infinite Jest came out in 96 and, you know, he was internationally famous after that. The premise of the book is that there's this video cassette. I mean, for me, Wallace captured, Wallace is a television writer. He's, he writes about the medium of television and particularly about entertainment and how much entertainment we need mm-hmm. and how much is too much, how much is good for us, how much is bad for us what it's like to gorge yourself on entertainment, what it's like to live a very upper middle class bougie lifestyle. And the at the heart of Infinite Jest, so the ba- the basic the, the basic rundown of the book is there's a video cassette called Infinite Jest and the title comes from Hamlet, right? So he of Infinite Jest, alas poor Yorick, that scene, mm-hmm. Infinite Jest. So infinite jokes, infinite fun. It's this videotape called Infinite Jest that if you get a hold of it, it is so pleasurable to watch that you will waste away in front of it and literally die. So the book, the book, and that's one part of the book, but the book is in large part about the loneliness and isolation that comes from living a life where your primary emotional attachments are to things and particular images that are not real and taking into account the vast emptiness that that creates spiritually. So we live and and he, so he's writing this in 96. I mean, we're talking fast food explosion, you know, all that kind of stuff, this land of abundance. And for Wallace at the heart of it, he didn't see anything meaningful. He saw just, you know, entertainment and, you know, icing without the cake and he th- saw a huge problem of male loneliness, ob- obsessed with entertainment, obsessed with video games, obsessed with television, obsessed with movies, and not forming real human connections. So it's about, I mean, the book is primarily about our relationship with entertainment, but in particular, television. So why has it struck such a chord with, and it seems like it's a specific demographic yeah. of men, a specific Young, age range. Yeah, younger males. I mean, I th- I think it's reflected in the characters of the book. They're of that age. I think Wallace was uh, Wallace was of that age when he wrote it. It's a pretty male perspective in the book. There's, there's you don't get a lot of female voices. To me, the the ideal w- Wallace reader is someone who's lonely, doesn't know why, middle class, has everything he or she needs. He probably, but doesn't know why that he's lonely or doesn't know why what he thought was at the center of, you know, the quest for commodities or the quest for entertainment is not rewarding. Is the demographic of Wallace readers, particularly those who have really taken the infinite jest, are they finding answers in the book? I don't know if the book provides um, any kind of solution. I don't think it does. Um, I think it just lays out a a, a diagnosis of the problem. In other essays, he lays out he lays out solutions to what we think we should what he thinks we should be doing, but the book is just it's a scathing indictment of '90s consumer culture. And it's funny if you go through the corporations own the years. So there's the year of the adult diaper, the Depends, right? Mm-hmm. And you just go through this list of corporate ownership and commodification. It just goes on and on and on. And then the question is, what's at the heart of it? What what causes someone to seek out that level of pleasure and entertainment 
even though it's soul crushing. And when you said that, starting with skewering uh, consumerism, yeah, uh, and uh, the the whole identifying with the consumerist aspect, it it brought to mind. I'm blanking on the name of the movie, but with Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, Fight Club. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Another ma- very male book, Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, and they came out about the same time. I think, didn't they? When did Fight Club come out? I don't know when Fight Club came out. It was around the same time. It's good. What? Well, Anthony the movie, was not, oh, the movie Fight the Club? movie absolutely came out in the nineties. I'm not sure when the book came. I out. I don't know when the book came out. Yeah. But but it started to sound very similar in theme and what? Yeah, Fight Club though is is a commentary on consumerism, but Fight Club is also much more a commentary on maleness and repressed mm-hmm. repressed animosity and repressed id id idness. You know, like the animal that wants to get out and yeah you know, being buttoned down in these corporate jobs and when we're really fighting animals and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Palahniuk's book is really violent. Mm-hmm. Wallace is a gentle soul. Wallace is very, or was very sensitive and very hyper, hyper self-conscious, hyper self-conscious. If you've seen or read any of his interviews, but especially if you've seen his interviews, yeah. oh, it takes him five minutes to get a sentence out. Because he, yeah. the, the, he's going through the mental categories. I mean, the guy is is absolutely brilliant. Also, the writing style of the book, the sentences are beautiful. They, I mean, they remind me of a lot of Proust, like a remembrance of things past. They're long. They're decorative. They're, I mean, he's, he's a fabulous writer too. But thematically, I would say those are the reasons. There's something at the heart of entertainment that's lonely. Yeah, and Infinite Jest is a big book, right? A thousand and pages yeah. 1070 pages yeah so it's pretty big well i read it once a very long time ago i don't remember much of it it's it's very male writing yeah it wasn't comparable to but it gave me very much the same feeling the same sensation as when i was assigned steinbeck and hemingway mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. school without mm-hmm. the machismo and the misogyny that came along especially with hemingway but it, it's definitely a very masculine form of writing um, and just briefly to Chuck Palahniuk, I would say he actually writes female characters better or more mm-hmm. accurately in, in my estimation. He he has a more of a sense of how to present a female character. And when I read Wallace's stuff, I also read brief interviews with Hideous Men. And I think he tends to write women more as as men see them through a men's lens. Mm-hmm. And Chuck Palahniuk, I think, is more effective at writing a, a woman's voice. Hmm. So I'm not sure if they're they're comparable other than in the general sense of when they came out and their impact on our culture. Okay. So uh, you had mentioned Wallace being interviewed. He was also very self-conscious about the public claim, how he's perceived. He, is to- he, he was totally obsessed with what people thought about him to the point of it being detrimental to his health. There, there's a really interesting story when Wallace was first breaking before Infinite Jest came out. This is like 92 or 91. A professor of mine wanted to interview him because he was an emerging young writer. And this professor was profiling, you know, new fiction writers. And it's, it was a major offer to get basically a break. And Ra- Wallace wrote a note back saying, I don't think that anything that I would have to say you would find particularly interesting or amusing, so I'm not sure why you'd want to interview me. 
That's before he was wow. famous. Wow. So so he questioned people's interest in him as well. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. So you can see in the film why he's suspicious. And especially yes. if you if you read Lipsky's stuff. I mean I don't know, Lipsky's portrayal is interesting in the film. He's kind of kid the line is kid brotherish, I think, in the movie. And it it's not really the way that that yeah. goes down. So let's go ahead and talk about the movie because okay. what we'll do is we'll do what we always do on this podcast is we'll talk about the movie itself as a piece of entertainment, and then we'll talk about the true story behind the movie based on a true story, and we will take a look at the facts. But End of the Tour is a movie that's essentially written from transcripts, mm-hmm. uh, that, from tapes that David Lipsky made when he was sent out on an assignment uh, for Rolling Stone magazine. The movie opens in 2008 with David Lipsky receiving a phone call that the author David Foster Wallace has committed suicide. Lipsky begins to listen to the tapes he made when he joined Wallace for five days at the end of his book tour in 1996. Wallace was promoting his novel, which we just discussed, Infinite Jest, which was well-received critically and became an international bestseller. Wallace is indifferent to being interviewed, and Lipsky is conflicted about being awestruck by the author and doing his job as a reporter. So if you have that conflict coming in for Lipsky. But I would argue as well, you, you had an envy. Jealousy in, envy, in Lipsky. absolutely. Yeah. In the film, right? Yeah, in, I think in real life, too. Okay. But uh, which I don't think is bad for for being an author. I mean, doesn't that drive one to try to do better work as well? I don't think in the case of Wallace, he wanted to be envied. I think it was, oh, okay. I think that I think the attention was detrimental to his work. The attention from Lipsky. I think any attention that on that on that magnitude Got and that it. that level of praise is. His line is that you know. The more that you see yourself as being smart or intellectual, the more you're going to be afraid all the time of being found out of being uh, that you're a fraud. So he, he didn't want to be seen that way. Do you think he would have preferred to pull a Salinger? Yes. Which isn't, but you know what? There are so many sides to the guy too, because there's also the wild and insane side of, and I don't mean that in his clinical mental illness, but the wild and crazy Wallace, you know, throughout the years i mean there's this quiet reserved soft-spoken insecure writer and then there's also the alcoholic the person who treated i mean there are have you read the stuff coming out right now that i don't even want to bring it up because it's it's unsubstantiated so i don't regarding wallace yeah okay there's a a huge backlash against him right now really yeah there was a there was a symposium in somewhere in the midwest and they had his work up, and then some protesters had come and said, "Oh, I don't, I don't read pigs, or I don't read because they see him as a misogynist." And there's, mm. there's some biographical stuff that's problematic, but it's just not verified at this point. Got so it. So it's not, it's gossip. Okay. In the movie, tensions rise during the five days that Lipsky and Wallace are together. When Lipsky uh, flirts with a woman, Wallace knows, and when Lipsky asks Wallace about rumors of his past heroin abuse. The film ends with Lipsky on his own book tour in 2010 for the book this movie is based on called Although, of course, you end up becoming yourself. The book about those five days and the screenplay for which this movie is based on. 
as a movie, as a piece of entertainment. As a piece of entertainment? It's interesting because it's almost like my dinner with Andre on the road (laughs) in a way. It's, it's essentially two men talking for the entire course of the movie. Yeah. Uh, Or, uh, or a male version of Before Sunrise. (laughs) Yeah. Or would that be a platonic version? well, as far as we know, yes, it would be a platonic version. Yes, 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 platonic version. But uh, yeah, but yeah, in, in that canon of films where it on the surface is just two people talking, but yeah. there's so much more that's going on. So, a, as a piece of entertainment, scale of one to four, how would you rate end of the tour? I would rate if if we're completely divorced. We're- completely divorcing it from everything i would i would give it a three 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 to a four in between a three and a four for entertainment okay. i think it's a good film well pick one three or four mm, three three okay i'd go four i enjoyed it quite a bit i, I liked it I, I thought the performances were good i thought jason siegel did a good job as well i think you might disagree a little bit yeah on that and we'll talk about that as well all right so uh 3.5 then on the combined yeah. for end of the tour. So let's go ahead and talk about the facts. And in this portion of the podcast, we'll talk about how facts were presented in the film and the historical and factual accuracy of each item. But I don't think we can tackle this film the way we usually do, because on most episodes, we take three to five plot points uh, and talk about the truth behind them, and that truth usually comes from the historical record or from video or audio footage or eyewitnesses who were present and wrote or spoke about the incident. What we have in the end of the tour is two people who know exactly what happened during the course of the tour, and one of them made tapes and wrote about it, and the other has passed on. Uh, however, on the other hand, End of the tour, for the most part, is from the transcribed book that Lipsky wrote. So I I think on the surface, when it comes to things that were said, can we agree that we're we're coming from a place of greater accuracy than we would from many films where the dialogue is is fictionalized? Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree on that point. It's the portrayal of the characters that is problematic for me. Yeah. Okay, and that's what's interesting because when I start to do research on these episodes, I usually start by just Googling the title of the movie, Fact versus Fiction. Mm-hmm. And I pull up plenty of websites that take key points, they talk about what was true and why it was or was not. What I found when I did research for the end of the tour was a lot of essays that came from Slate, uh, that came from Esquire, that came from the New York Times. And all of them were either giving lengthy reasons on why this is a movie that should have been made, on why it's not about David Foster Wallace, on why it's uh, the wrong thing to do, or why uh, it doesn't reflect the person I knew in David Foster Wallace. These are personal testimonials? These, these are personal testimonials, and we'll have links to all of them on the episode page at biopicsmostlysuck.com. But there weren't any quick hits. They were all rather lengthy, well-thought-out, well-written essays in favor of the film being made or the film not being made. Sounds like a Wallace audience. 
Yes. Yes. From what you described, that sounds like a Wallace audience. Now, to start with, his trust and his estate are not happy with the film Mm, in any way, shape, or form. Mm. They say that he would not have wanted those transcripts to be made into a movie. They also say that the portrayal of David Foster Wallace does not represent the person who they knew, which is very possible. I'm sure, you know, if if a movie were made of you, yeah. I'd know you in a more well-rounded way than sure. anyone who's stepping into your shoes, for instance. So yeah. I get that perspective. There's the other perspective that says that this movie is not about David Foster Wallace. It is a biopic about David Lipsky. And it is a biopic about his experience that he had on being with David Foster Wallace for this book tour. Yeah. So wh- where do you fall in that spectrum? Uh, I mean, for me, it's definitely a biopic about David Foster Wallace. They selected the most, I mean, the most successful period of his life. Where I mean, his fame was in full bloom. No, mm-hmm. I mean, no one could talk about anything else. So, I mean, to me, the film is totally about Infinite Jest and David Foster Wallace. The depiction of Wallace, I see. I thought that Siegel came across uh, Jason Siegel, the actor. Who yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought that Jason Siegel came across as clumsy and not as confident as. Wallace, as I've seen him in or read in interviews. The thing is also Wallace wasn't a big, goofy guy. He wasn't a big, like, lumbering guy. He was a big guy, but he was also a tennis player, and he was an athlete, and he didn't walk like that. He didn't move like that. He didn't lumber around. He didn't have that that aura. I felt like, I felt like Siegel missed his aura. I feel like Siegel also missed a lot of his vulnerabilities. I feel like... Mm. I feel like Wallace is, if you watch him on Charlie Rose or if you watch, I mean, and any, there's, there are a couple of great interviews. He's so unsure and yet sure of himself at the same time, but he's also so preoccupied with what the interviewer is thinking at the same time that it's this watching a David Foster Wallace interviewing, watching his, his mannerisms is such an uncomfortable experience. Being in his mind is such an uncomfortable place. And I just didn't get that feeling. I got a slight sense of it from Siegel, but I I didn't get the depths of it. I didn't get the depths of that depression. I mean, this is a, a guy with real clinical depression in the, r- the real sense of that word. Yeah. And when he went off his medication, he committed suicide. And but- I feel like some liberties were taken that I, in terms of that question – I, I obviously don't know or didn't know David Foster Wallace, but everything I've read, I would think that he would hate the movie. Yeah. I would think he would, I don't even think, I don't think he would watch it. I think he would be too embarrassed. That would be my, that would be my inclination. And, and that's very similar to what his family says. Okay. They were not happy with it at all. But given that, any of those essays are very subjective depending on your experience and where you fall yeah. on whether or not a public figure is fair game especially if the information is coming from transcripts. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to point-counterpoint on that, we could talk all day on that, and neither of us would end up being correct, essentially, because, like you said, we didn't know David Foster Wallace, so we can't verify any of that. And what we are talking about here are facts. Yeah. 
I think in the end, what we have is we do have three key areas of the movie to look at, and where we can determine facts is where do they depart from what is available on the transcripts, mm. which David Lipsky recorded. And one of the first ones that I think we should take a look at is when Lipsky hits on Wallace's girlfriend, uh, or ex-girlfriend. ex-girlfriend yeah. uh, so let's go ahead and talk about what's in the movie. Okay. In the end of the tour, Wallace and Lipsky go to Wallace's friend's Betsy's house to hang out. While Lipsky is in the kitchen, Betsy comes in to talk to him about a review of her book. Lipsky asks her for her email address, and after Betsy leaves the kitchen, Wallace confronts Lipsky about flirting with Betsy and tells him to just be a good guy. I went ahead and downloaded the ebook for Lipsky's book so I could do a search and find yeah. and take a look. And uh, Betsy's definitely in the book, along with her friend, who's I think Julie mm-hmm. was her name, uh, along with her friend Julie. And they do hang out, but th- there's nothing referenced at all in the transcript. So we can say this was a piece that was fictionalized for the movie. There's also no line of just be a good guy mm-hmm. as coming from David Foster Wallace in any way. So nothing to verify. No, and that, at, at that all. also just be a good guy. That I, I can't even I, I can't even imagine that coming out of just if you said good to David Foster Wallace, that would just that would open up a can of worms in terms of what that means. It's, I think it's utterly reductive. Just be a good guy. Yeah, it, it kind of puts him into this Buddha kind of position. Moralist. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, and yeah. It, and it, and also, I feel I feel like it made Lipsky look like a prick, and it made Wallace look like a prick. And I, I don't know. I don't know why that scene was added. Oh, well, you know. And speaking of Lipsky looking like a prick, I have to give him credit because he did write a book based on transcripts, and there are times where he does come off as a prick or as a star fucker, yeah. uh, to use another term. Yeah. So I give him credit in not whitewashing yeah. that aspect of his own personality, which which is honest and truthful, and I can give him some credit for that. Or maybe he lacks the insight to realize that he looks like a star fucker. Um, but yes, I agree. There was no purpose for that particular scene to be placed in there. This is one of the things I abhor most about Hollywood is they have to contrive some sort of conflict Mm -hmm. because they seem to think the American public can't take a movie that is simply character driven and doesn't have some sort of conflict that needs to either be resolved or heartbreakingly not resolved by the end of the movie um, and it does a disservice to everyone, and that's one of the reasons why I dislike movies like this so much. And I think it does a disservice, especially when the person it's about is dead, and they have no opportunity mm-hmm. to speak to it. And, and that's one of the reasons we do this podcast, is because I think it's important to highlight that responsibility that filmmakers have to people who who, who can't speak up otherwise. But since you mentioned creating drama where drama didn't exist That ties in directly with the next item we're going to take a look at. In the movie, we have Wallace and Lipsky on a plane, and Wallace is telling a story about being on a rostrum with another author, and then seeing that same author two years later when Wallace has a job handing out towels at a health club. In the movie, Lipsky asks if this experience led to the suicide watch, and Wallace takes offense that Lipsky knows about it. Lipsky receives the cold shoulder treatment from Wallace during their entire time in Minneapolis as a result of asking that question. 
uh, I went back and took a look at what really happened. And again, uh, really happened, meaning according to the transcripts that Lipsky has. And, and Lipsky's book presents the following. I mentioned to you we're going to do some role-playing, so I think this is the time to go ahead and do it. Okay. Uh, would you like to be Lipsky or would you like to be Wallace? Oh, Wallace. Oh, uh, be Wallace. There we go. And uh, I, I'm going to say, let's just go ahead and... Read it dry. Let's not try to emote or give inflection necessarily where it it might not exist. This is the discussion that took place between Wallace and Lipsky regarding the suicide watch from Lipsky's transcript. Lipsky says, and I'm playing Lipsky, let's talk about some more about this 88. The really big difference is what was happening to you and not to someone else. Sure. This year is 90 to when was the suicide watch period? When did I go in there? This is at McLean's. How do you know that name? I know people from Boston, not from there, who know you, but who... No, there's lots of places in Boston, but McLean is... Actually, I did end up going to McLean because that's what the Harvard insurance was on the plan for. And the discussion continues and Wallace discusses how he was treated for mental illness. So in the transcripts, Wallace is very transparent and forthright about the mental health treatment he received, and he doesn't have an objection at all to the suicide watch being brought up, but he just seems to show surprise that Lipsky knows the name McLean's. Yeah. So I would say to Don's point, that seems like they really just ginned up some conflict out of a place where there doesn't seem to be conflict to exist. People go approaching that movie are already coming with a whole host of assumptions about Wallace that they're going to want to have satisfied. I mean, I think that's a really easy reason to put something like that in there is that Mm -hmm. if you've heard about Wallace on the periphery, oh, he's a writer who committed suicide, which is what most people know about him, either infinite jest or he killed himself. Well, then you're going to want to hear him say, which ended up with me in the center Mm -hmm. of, yeah, you know. And later on in the transcripts, Wallace does have a concern about the suicide watch being mentioned, but his concern is he doesn't want it to be turned into this romantic, tortured artist type of thing. But nowhere does it seem he has an objection to the suicide watch being mentioned or talked about. The third item that we can verify using the transcripts is one you already mentioned, and I think this is your your, your most hated item. (laughs) Is David Foster Wallace dancing at the church? So let's go ahead and talk about what was in the movie. In the movie, it ends with David Lipsky reading a passage from his book, although, of course, you end up becoming yourself a road trip with David Foster Wallace. And this reading at a during a book tour of his own is interspersed with shots of David Foster Wallace dancing alone in a dark church with other people who are also dancing as the sunlight streams in through the windows. So the question is, what really happened? Because this this one upsets you in particular, correct? I mean, it. I just feel like it's grossly, grossly misportrayed. But go ahead, let's fire away. Uh, why do you feel it's grossly mis- misportrayed? I've never read... Be- any- and the reason I ask that is, when I've read about this particular scene... This is where the strongest objection is Oh, interesting. from people about this movie, is this scene in particular. Yeah. Well, I mean, number one, David Foster Wallace hated dancing. Now, I, know where, that, I know he had a couple characters who spoke against dancing. 
Do we have it on record that he spoke against Stance? Yeah, in a couple of essays. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. So there's a Harper's essay he wrote called Shipping Out, where he talks about the conga lines and dancing and the whatever they have on a cruise ship. I don't know. <laughs> cruise ship. Yeah. Anyway, but no, he no, he has a distaste for dancing. This is going to harken back to another conversation we had earlier. It's uplifting. And it's it, it makes it seem like he's found redemption mm-hmm. in some way. And... At that point, that was the furthest thing from the truth. It ties the story together way too nicely for me. It seems like he went out on top and died young, gloriously dancing away in the light streaming through it. It just smacks of bullshit. Okay. Okay. So let's go ahead and take a look because we really don't know for sure the truth on this one. In Lipsy's transcript, Wallace talks about going to a dance at a Baptist church. And Lipsky expresses surprise to hear that Wallace dances. But Wallace gives a lot of detail. He talks about the type of music that's being played and the crowd that comes. And uh, he gives a lot of information about these dances he goes to at different churches. What we do know is that Wallace used the term church to refer to recovery meetings. Yep. He didn't speak about recovery necessarily, but what he would do is he would refer to other people in recovery as being members of a church. And he would use these terms in order to protect the confidentiality and anonymity of the people he was in recovery with. So is it possible he did dance at all? No. And I mean, I've, I've read in a couple of spots that those Dancing was code for meeting for an AA meeting. Yeah. I don't know. The, I I I, lo- I love the movie as a piece of entertainment, mm-hmm. but I just uh, it's stomach turning at the end. I, I I would agree with him dancing and the sun streaming in. Some people relate that to being in heaven as well. Who? Uh, some I've read it in a couple of the articles okay. that I have. Because again, posted. say heaven to David Foster Wallace. He's going to come at you with. 30,000 interpretations of what that means. It's just reductive. I don't like it. Yeah. And also, with the little I know about David Foster Wallace, it just seemed out of tone for the rest of the movie. Yeah. It was was a definite turn. Yeah. It it was flat, and then all of a sudden we go up into the peaks, right? You know what I also don't like? What's that? How Lipsky has a full audience at the end. How How he has no one to read his novel. In the beginning, mm-hmm. and then at the end, everyone it's full because Wallace has committed suicide, and this is the gut fucking star fucker. Come on, well, not, I don't like that. Well, not just him, but I mean, really, we do that as a society. I know we do, and I don't like people who capitalize on it. I, I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan became so much more popular after the helicopter crash. Yeah, but I'm saying I don't like people who. It's not the. It's not the people who die in the these crashes it's the people who monopolize on mm-hmm. on their death and I, yeah. I just it's there's something that rubs me the wrong way about it i can't imagine anyone that i had any affection for if they passed away even making the attempt to chronicle their life or my impressions of their life because yeah. i'm a writer and i want to make a name for myself yeah on the other hand i think the movie and also the book are are an interesting view into what what is a role of a feature reporter you need to establish a relationship with a person relatively quickly. I think there's some interesting things they do in the movie regarding Lipsky 
Because I don't know if you noticed, but every time he makes an agreement with Wallace, he turns off the tape recorder. So Wallace makes a request about mm-hmm. if I say anything yeah. that, you know, I don't like. Lipsky turns off the tape recorder and says, sure. So his agreement wasn't caught on there. And then he turns the tape recorder back on. Yeah. But but there is a relationship you have to establish as a re- reporter who's working with someone who you have to write about. But there's also the other theme in this movie is about becoming a public persona and uh, being very conscious about how you're going to be perceived and knowing that you are giving up of yourself for someone else to interpret that and to maybe not interpret it in a way that you would agree with. Yeah. And those are things that uh, Wallace in the movie definitely talks about. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody writes a book and thinks that what happened to David Foster Wallace is going to happen to them. I mean, that happens to... I mean, if you just go through 20th century writers who have had that level of fame, you've got Hemingway, you've got Fitzgerald, you've got Thomas Pynchon. That level of recognition and respectability within the literary community, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's unheard of. I don't think he was expecting it. And I think that that kind of literary celebrity is a very different type of celebrity than film celebrity. Yeah. And I also don't think that Lipsky's going in as a journalist. Well, why do you say that? I think he's a novelist. Even though he was sent as a Rolling Stone reporter? I think that's the role he was performing. Mm-hmm. But I think it, I, I don't think that's what he wanted to be. Mm, interesting. So, I mean, mm. it's like you go to write about your hero or it, not even your hero, just someone that you, you want to be. That's problematic. You're going to project a whole lot of shit onto that person that may not have anything to do with that person. It may not, maybe all your fantasies about what that person is or what you want to be or what you want to see in that person. And maybe that's why he kept it at being a transcript. It does limit the ability to do that Yeah. rather than writing a nonfiction book, for instance, where you could go into paragraphs talking about how you feel. Sure. He kept it down to the facts. Some facts. That were on tape. Right, right, right. For the book. Oh, for the book. I'm sorry. For the book. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. For the book, not for the movie. Okay, so with those three embellishments that we talked about uh, in the movie, it's time to grade end of the tour for the truth behind the movie based on a true story. A through F, you would give end of the tour. For truth? For truth. F. An F, really, based on only those three diversions. No, based on portrayals, based on demeanor, based on tone, based on dialogue, based on just the presentation of the movie, the acting, the direction. Oh, my goodness. For truth. Entertainment. It's entertainment all the way. If I didn't love David Foster Wallace and if I hadn't read him before, I'd think, wow, that's that's an interesting, depressed guy. And that's Uh the same reason I don't like Oliver Stone's Doors movie. It's one-dimensional. It's a one-dimensional portrait of a really complex human being. Okay. And Don, letter grade for truth? D minus. Oh, my God. Low scores. I would give it a C because we are working with a transcript that comes from a book. And I think that lends a certain amount of truth over and above other nonfiction works. Well, but we don't know when he turned off the tape recorder when he left it on, and what was edited out. We don't know that those are full transcripts. Because that's the thing. 
He makes the choice to release it. After Wallace has died. So yes. you don't have to make that choice, ethically or morally. I just think you gotta, you gotta let the fans dissipate. You've gotta get a disinterested group of audience members who are emotionally removed from the story, I think, to tell it right. And I think you need at least a couple more bios, probably some more unpublished writing. I just, I, I think there would be a really good movie about Wallace's life 20, 30 years from now. Well, that would be interesting to see. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining me, John. Thank, thank you. you, Don. Thank you. Thank you. Did you have something else you would like to say? I could edit it in. Fuck, I lost it. That should be the intro. Fuck, I lost it. And then it rolls in. <laughs> I think that'll be the ending. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I lost it. Thank you, John. Do you have anything else? Fuck, I lost it. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. There we go. Now it's time for us to fact check ourselves. We come to these conversations prepared, but sometimes we find ourselves going in a direction we weren't prepared for, or we mention some bad information, or sometimes we just completely make stuff up. For instance, we discussed that David Foster Wallace's book, Infinite Jess, has similar themes with the book Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk, and we were trying to remember when the books were released. Both books were released in the same year, 1996, and the film version was released in 1999. Well, that wraps up another episode of Biopics Mostly Suck. If you liked it, please subscribe using your favorite podcasting platform. We are literally everywhere. You can find all of the sources that we used to build this episode at biopicsmostlysuck.com slash the end of the tour. I usually throw some goodies on the episode pages like videos or pictures. For the end of the tour, I've posted eight minutes of the recordings from the original Lipsky tapes with David Foster Wallace, which gives an interesting perspective on the process of a profile writer and their subject. How are we doing with this project? Send us your feedback through our website, biopicsmostlysuck.com slash contact and you can recommend which movies you would like us to use for an episode. And we will share the true story behind that movie based on a true story. Take care, everyone.